You are now listening to the Nicole Gonzalez podcast with me, your host, Nicole Gonzalez. For more information, you can find me at NicoleGonzalezWrites.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for tuning in with me today. If you are physically watching this video, then you will see me completely in my element. I am at home in my basement, and I'm used to sitting on the floor with my toddlers, so I'm in sweats. I'm crisscross applesauce. I have a giant unicorn behind me. I'm super comfy. It's a whole vibe. But we've got a very important topic to cover over the next half hour or so because we are single-handedly the most sleep-deprived civilization to have ever walked the face of Earth. In fact, various studies have been performed and show that over 70 million people in America have a sleep disorder. And that is just in the United States, you guys, 70 million people. That number is incredibly high. And I really think this is something that we need to spend more time talking about. So this topic of sleep completely consumed my entire life last year. So I definitely have some room to talk about this area. And I'm going to share my story with you all on how I came to be so passionate about this topic. And then I'll share also with you guys what I've learned in my research. So a little over a year ago, we started noticing unusual sleep patterns in my daughter's sleep. At first, we heard her gradually coughing throughout the night. I thought it was allergies, and then I was convinced we had mold in the house. We got all these mold tests. We bought them on Amazon. We had mold tests in every single room. It was a little chaotic. And then we ended up getting an air purification system put in. And although my air felt cleaner, none of it seemed to help her stop coughing. So roughly another month passed, and she was becoming really restless in her sleep. She was sweating and just seemed really uncomfortable. But around this time, we also had another baby. Um, little fun fact, my son and my daughters, they actually had the same exact due date, January 24th. But my daughter was eight days late, which was a brutal eight days. Um, so they're eight days apart, their birthdays. And a week after bringing my son home, she just turned two. So now this is really important to note because as her sleep patterns worsened, anytime we spoke to somebody about it, whether it be friends or uh, I sp spoke to a couple different doctors, they completely directed it back to her entering her terrible twos or also the fact that she's now adjusting to a new baby in the house. So needless to say, a few more months passed, her sleep got severely worse. And again, every time we talk to people about, it, oh, it's just terrible twos. Oh, it's just new baby. She's adjusting. And she started waking up every single hour, either in night terrors or just out of restlessness. She was very uncomfortable all night. And when she would wake up in the morning, it was almost like she didn't sleep at all. She was exhausted and miserable and yawning and just like, you know, it seemed and it looked like what you would think who somebody who got a terrible night's sleep. So she was miserable. She was exhausted. And her behavior throughout the day was horrendous. You know, not to, to rag on my daughter. <laughs> um, she's going to hear this when she gets older and be like, geez, mom. But she was irritable. She was violent. And it totally broke my heart because I could see that my baby was just not living this healthy, vibrant life. She was not thriving. And, you know, health and personal growth, all those things are very important to me. So it completely just it killed me as mom. I dove in and I started doing a lot of research trying to get to the core because I knew all of this stemmed from her sleep, but I didn't understand what it was. 
So I did a lot of research online. And the moment I came across obstructive sleep apnea, I knew this was it. You know, I read everything and it was my daughter to like a T. So I called the doctor. They recommended me to a sleep specialist. And this went on a several months journey because we then went to a sleep specialist and they said, okay, well, in order to, it sounds like she has OSA, but in order to confirm that she needs to do a sleep study. But then like their sleep study was booked for several months out. And then, so we got passed around to all these different doctors, all these different sleep specialists, but nobody would perform surgery under the age of three. And she had just turned two. So we finally recommended to CHOP, Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania. And again, they said the same thing. She needs to get a sleep study done. And this was now probably around June. Mind you, her birthday is February 1st. So, and my son was born in January. So we had already been on this journey for like six months. And they, so in June, they told us her sleep study, the soonest one we could get was October. And that was a rough blow (laughs) Um, because it was hard enough to wait six months to get to the bottom of all of this. We had to now wait more, like a longer time to get to October. So um, once we were guided down that direction, we kind of figured this this is what we have to do. So we did flash forward. When entire exhausting year passed, October came around, sleep study showed that she did have OSA, she was actually waking up an average of 14 times per hour. Because what OSA does is if your tonsils and it's obstructive sleep apnea, right? So for her, her tonsils and her adenoids were so big that it was obstructing her sleep. And your brain wants you, of course, to live and it wants to breathe. So it automatically wakes you up in your sleep and tells you like, hey, keep breathing. You know, you got to wake up. So it the study showed that she was waking up an average of 14 times per hour. So poor baby, all makes sense. And she wasn't sleeping. Another two months passed. She finally got surgery in December. And then it took a couple weeks of recovery. So an entire year passed before it was all said and done. She got her tonsils and her adenoids out. Her sleeping is much better. Thank God for everyone. But her story is actually not what is the most important thing about all of this. Because what happened during this season of life is that I became severely sleep deprived. So not only was I super stressed, super anxious about watching this, like this happen to my baby, not knowing how to control it, but I also had a newborn baby. And every time he woke, like if he woke up one hour, then I would get him back to sleep and then my daughter would wake up the next hour and then my baby. And it was just every single hour of the night. I swear on anything. I, I did not sleep for an entire year. It was the most insane. Like I, I felt like I was just living in chaos and insanity. So I was irritable. I was really struggling to do the things that make me feel happy and fulfilled. And I wasn't showing up as the mom or the wife or like definitely not the educator that I wanted to be. And so I really dove in and I did all this research on myself. And this is where I really want to share with you guys all of the research that I found. Um, So going back to my original comment back in the beginning about us being the most sleep-deprived civilization to ever walk the face of earth, it is so true. And honestly, you guys, we are totally doing it to ourselves. We stay up all wild hours throughout the night looking at screens. 
And here's like the little history nerd in me coming out. But it wasn't until the mid to late 1800s that we even had electricity. And before that, when the sun went down, we humans would then go to sleep. Our bodies are meant to follow the circadian clock, which aligns with the patterns of the sun. So when the sun goes down, so should we. It's needed for things like rest and recovery and metabolism production and regular hormone cycles. And we haven't evolved as a society to truly know what the screens are doing to us. And so now in just 150 short years, we've gone from following this circadian clock to staying up all night, staring at these screens. And our bodies naturally secrete hormones throughout the night to help us sleep and to keep us asleep. But when we stay up all night, we are completely tricking our brains. We're telling our brains, oh, no, we're looking at this light. And our brain thinks it's the sunlight. So our brain says, oh, shoot, I just started secreting melatonin or serotonin to relax the body and to keep it asleep. But I'm really supposed to be secreting something else to wake us up. So it starts, you know, it throws our circadian rhythm off and it really just completely tricks everything inside, like internally what's going on with us. So there's two things that I want everyone to get from that. We need to stop staying up so late for starters, because our bodies are naturally meant to fall asleep you know, roughly around the time the sun goes down, but I would say nine, 10 o'clock. So, and when we're pushing it off, we are totally screwing with everything inside of us. And the other thing is we, we really can't be staring at these screens late at night. And I know that's so much easier said than done. I am guilty of this too. I will not say that I'm not, but we, we stay up, we watch TV, we're on our phones, we're scrolling on um, Instagram or Facebook, and we're on our computers. And every single thing that we do, we're looking at a screen. And it's a different type of light. It's artificial light. It's not natural light from the sun. So it's not doing, say, and I'm going to get into the sunlight in a few minutes, but it's not doing the same benefit to our body that natural sunlight would do. So those are two really big things right there, guys. We need to stop staying up so late. And number two, we also really need to stop staring at our screens, especially so late. If you are somebody that's on your screen a lot during the day, we should not be staring at our screens all night because, you know, we're just totally messing things up internally. And, you know, just to add on to that one last thing, a lot of times there's like this whole connotation about eating donuts in the middle of the night, especially like police officers. Well, that stems from our brain's desire for glucose. So when we push off sleep, our brain, I'm not, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to know all the different moving parts that go into this, but our brain starts to crave glucose because we naturally have this glucose um, production going on inside of us during the night. And when we're not sleeping, we start around around like midnight. So that's why there's like those midnight cravings. We start to get hungry, quote unquote, because our brain is actually trying to produce this glucose. But since we're not sleeping and we're not getting the rest and we're not getting the recovery we need, we tend to reach for sugary snacks for that glucose craving, right? So we start eating. I know a lot of people that eat like sugary cereals or cake or ice cream or dessert or something because our brain really is saying like, hey, you're, you're, you're exhausted. You're sleepy. You're tired. You need to lay down, sleep, get some rest and recovery, but we're fighting it and we're not letting our body do its regular cycle that it's supposed to do. So um, 
all things to take into consideration. So the second thing I found really fascinating in my research is this concept of 90 minute sleep cycles. I was like many of you, I'm sure, always told to get eight hours of sleep. But in reality, that's not quite accurate because we have 90 minute sleep cycles that enables our body to fall into a deep sleep and hit our REM sleep. And if we set our alarms for eight hours in advance, then we're setting ourselves up to wake in the middle of our sixth sleep cycle. So we should actually be aiming for either seven and a half hours of sleep or nine hours of sleep or even, even 10 and a half if you have the time and the ability to sleep for that length of time. And so if you continue to do eight hours or let's say, um, I don't know, even less than eight hours, you are setting your body up to wake up in the middle of a sleep cycle, which is really setting yourself up for failure because you're going to wake up. Your body was just momentarily in this deep sleep and you were dreaming and you were in your REM cycle. And then all of a sudden these alarms start going up off. You wake up and of course you're going to be exhausted and groggy because your body wasn't done with that cycle and it wants to finish out the cycle. So I actually think the absolute best way to wake up is to wake up naturally. So if you ever wake up, which this happens to me almost every morning because my body is so in sync with waking up at six o'clock, almost every single morning, my body will wake up at six o'clock on the dot. And I try to set my alarm for like 6.10. But if I wake up before six, I do not hit the snooze. I do not let myself lay back down because then I'm just going to set myself up for failure fall back into a new sleep cycle, wake up 10, 15, 20 minutes later, and I'm going to be groggy, tired, and not really thrilled to get up. <laughs> so if you wake up naturally, even if it's before your alarm, just get up. You will feel more alert, more awake. Um, I, I am not the first person to speak on this. There's a lot of research out there that shows this is the truth. Um, so try, you know, feel free to go research on all of that. But wake up naturally. It is by far the most energizing way to wake up. The third thing I found very fascinating in my research is that there are foods to help us sleep at night. So one of the big nutrients that we need to get in our diet that really helps us to regulate all those hormone cycles and to um, have our metabolism production go through naturally is magnesium. We really need magnesium in our body. So things like bananas and cherries and strawberries and spinach and walnuts, yogurt, broccolini, steak, you know, just naming a bunch of different things that have a good amount of magnesium in there. You can look it up. There's a ton of others that is just a very small list. But from something I hear from way too many people, um, especially teenagers, as an educator, I see a lot of teens. I see what they eat in the morning for breakfast. I see what they eat at lunch in the afternoon. They are sticking to a lot of like breads and crackers and pizza. Oh my God, pizza is the number one thing that every single, <laughs> I feel like teenager goes to eat for lunch. And I love pizza. It is delicious. It's amazing. But if you are eating this consistently every single day, you are not giving yourself a, a variety of different nutrients. And so your body is going to start craving these certain nutrients. So if you are lacking sleep, if you feel sleep deprived, if you are saying, if you are somebody that deals with insomnia, then you should really take a look at your diet because there might be certain vitamins and nutrients that your body is craving. Um, so I would definitely look up some foods rich in magnesium and get them into your diet ASAP. 
And number four, this is really the last one I'm going to get into, uh, get into today, but we need to get outside and get in the sun. So if you can think of a day that maybe you had a family barbecue, you were outside in the sun running around, especially if you were a kid, right? If you're a kid at a family barbecue, those were the best. Um, But think of how well you probably slept that night. It's because you were literally in the sun and the sun has the most incredible um, ability to not only make you feel good, but also to bring nutrients and vitamins into your body through your skin. So your skin is actually an organ. It's the largest organ on your body. And what you put on it, what you put into it really, really matters. So we know things like um, vitamin D and UVA and UVB rays soak into our bodies through our skin. But what was really fascinating to me that I learned in my research was that our eyes absorb um, the light from the sun. And they send tiny little messages to the brain saying, hey, it's daytime. The sunlight is out. So look what I just absorbed. And then in turn, that tells your brain when it should be making things like serotonin. So if you guys don't have any knowledge around serotonin, do me a favor, do some research on it. Serotonin is very important and it is the feel good, happy hormone in your body. So if you're not outside, if you're not in the sunlight and absorbing those rays of natural light, we actually lack serotonin which is the ability to feel happy, and it is also the ability to naturally be able to fall asleep at night. Serotonin is so unbelievably important. Serotonin is also lacked to that third thing I mentioned about the foods that we eat because serotonin, actually 95% of our serotonin is in our gut. It is all within our belly. So we need to be eating foods that are gut friendly and gut happy. So that way our serotonin is, or I don't know why I said it like serotonin. <laughs> so, so that way our serotonin is um, happy and in production and everything is balanced and moving the way that it should be. So overall guys, these are the four things that were really, really eye-opening to me that I wanted to get out to you guys as my audience because I think sleep is something that is very overlooked in society today and we all just tend to write it off as I suck at sleep and I have insomnia. And if you are one of those people, I'm not harping on you. I was 1,000% that person. I did not sleep well, certainly did not sleep at all last year. But when I was in high school, for for sure, I did not get sleep. And now as a human, as a mom, as a wife, as an educator, it is so powerful to be armed with the knowledge of how to get better sleep. We need to do things like going to bed earlier, not staring at screens all night, eating the right foods, taking a look at our 90-minute sleep cycles, getting outside in the sun, Guys, these are things that are really easy to do and to incorporate into our daily routine too. It's not like we're blaming this insomnia on something that is unattainable or something that we can't control. We can control these things. So now that you guys are armed with the knowledge, if there was anything in here, new information that you've never heard of before, it's really important to now add this into your daily life. But also, guys, go out and do more research. I'm not the first person to speak about this. There's so much information out there. This is where I got all of my research from is just, you know, Googling and reading books. So speaking of, of course, I want to give credit where credit is due. I did a lot of research, but 
The book Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson was super eye-opening. It was an incredible read. It goes through a lot of these topics, but then so much more. So it also talks about um, the temperature that you should be sleeping. You know, if your room is too hot, then you might be waking up. It also talks about like what sheets and it talks about this concept of grounding. And there was so much information that I got from that book. So really guys, go grab your copy of that book. Start, (laughs) this is not an ad, I just really loved that book. But start diving into your own research around sleep, how to get better sleep, and what the lack of sleep is actually doing to your bodies. So that's all for this week, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Always remember, I'm on this journey with you. I love you. And I'll see you all next week. Thank you guys for listening. If you like the show, please, please, please share it with someone you love, someone you care about. My goal is always to help people to make them feel loved and special and cared for and connected with. So if this episode helped you in any way, let's keep spreading all those good vibes. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Nicole Gonzalez Writes or my website at the exact same thing, <laughs> NicoleGonzalezWrites.com. And remember, you guys, I love you and I will see you next week.